How you spend your money is, in many ways, how you spend your life. So how can you generate not just a return on your investments, but a return on life? Welcome to the Own Your Wealth Podcast. Whether you're a working professional, a small business owner, or thinking about retirement, listen in as host Jason Deshays of Cook Wealth discusses tax strategy, financial planning, and more to equip you to live life empowered and truly own your wealth. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for Own Your Wealth with Jason Deshays. I'm Wendy McConnell. Hey there, Jason. Hey, how are you doing, Wendy? I'm good. How are you? See, the you know, I was a cowboy the one time. Now I'm like a robot. Hey there, Jason. Yeah, it's it's you know, I kind of like the the cowboy one. That was pretty. Okay. I don't know. The character was good. Okay. Next time you'll probably be some sort of. Oh yeah, if I'm in New York and you got this thing. <laughs> hey, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm not bit. good at a, at a New York accent. I can probably do a Philly accent because that's how I talk. You talk. <laughs> I talk. I worked with a lady. She was from Philadelphia. And I remember very distinctively, Wendy Schnars, if you're listening to this, this is still burned in my mind from Neff and Richie, but she would say water. And water. that referred to a glass of water. Water. A body of water was water. Yeah. It's kind so of like, like a um, lake or something. Creek and crick. <laughs> What's the difference between those? There isn't one. One's a crick. And that was what I grew up with in my backyard. But if we're talking about a body of water that we're crossing, it's a creek. I mean, a creek. A creek. <laughs> yeah. But the creek, you go to the creek in the backyard, yeah. but you cross the creek. Right. Exactly. Wow. There's a lot of rules, Jason. You know, life is, uh, English is a funny language, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. They say it's the most difficult one of all, and I believe it. <laughs> So we have a friend back. It's our <laughs> returning friend, Derek Williams, uh, hey, Derek. financial going, advisor guys? extraordinaire. You know, we're just <laughs> glad to have him here. Good, to, good, glad to be here. I know you guys have been doing some great podcasts, some great episodes since I've been been on. So, oh shucks, <laughs> oh shucks, there, Derek. Thank you for that nice words of compliment. So, Jason, what will we be discussing today? We are going to continue our series on the five uses of money. We've talked about giving, owing, and that's taxes and debt. And today we're going to talk about growing the, that money. And we're going to wrap up our series with living, which is kind of the American normal first bucket of money is how I live my lifestyle. We're going to end on that one because that's ultimately the plug to everything. So we're going to talk with Derek about how you grow smartly, intentionally, and then kind of give some practical tips and then kind of talk about how different ways and different buckets you can save into that kind of helps give you some options down the road. So let's, Derek, let's start with the basics, right? And this yeah. is like the rainy day fund because you, you don't normally go from like, I have no money to have all the monies in this like multi-million dollar <laughs> portfolio. You got to start somewhere. Exactly. And that's just the emergency rainy day fund. What's a good sure. way for people to like start with that? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing to consider when you've got an emergency fund or when you have an emergency fund goal is that that's really the first place that money should go, right? You want to pay for your everyday expenses. You want to put gas in the car. You want to, you know, buy groceries. You, you know, you want to pay the mortgage. But after that, before you have that emergency fund built, that really should be numero uno when it comes to saving, because that's what's going to insulate you against unexpected costs that come up in the future. It's 
even though it's not the most exciting, it's not the sexiest part of the financial plan. I think it's one of the most critical because yeah. you, you know, tire blows and yeah. you need a whole set of tires. That's almost a thousand bucks right there. And it, I don't know the stats, but a lot of people don't even have that set aside to cover yeah. those kind of random things that do happen at times. We've had a coworker who's ceiling had a hole in it. <laughs> I mean, those kind of things happen to all of us yeah. at different times. But this that this is the intent of that emergency fund is that like rando thing that costs a chunk of money that isn't part of your day to day budget. Yeah, and it's a mental thing too, right? If you're, you know, if, let's say you're a young person or somebody starting out and you're like, Hey, I really want to start saving. I want to, you know, build my wealth over time. And then, you know, an unexpected $2,000 car repair comes up. It's going to really sting if you have to pull that out of, you know, your investment account, or if you have to put that on a credit card and start paying interest. So it's just good to have that buffer built up and, and everybody's buffers different, right? Some people need a larger emergency savings bucket. Some people need a smaller one. You know, what are some examples, Jason, that you can think of when somebody might need a larger or a smaller emergency savings? Well, I think of when you've got, you know, when you're single and you got the one car, right? That's yeah. one thing. Let's say you get married. Now there's two cars. So you almost yeah. got to be prepared that something happens to both of them. <laughs> and then as you start having kids and you've got things with them, you'll have, I mean, last summer, my daughter broke her leg. Yeah. And she was on the trampoline and I have two older boys. They have had nothing. Their bones are probably the density of steel. <laughs> but Glory is like, you know, eats like a bird and is like this dainty little thing. And of course, she's the one that breaks her leg. That's like a $1,500 medical expense yeah. right there. So I think as your like families grow or or if you have not regular forms of income, That's I think I of people who are yeah. self-employed, who uh, they're, they say they're salespeople and they get commissions yeah. and they mm -hmm. have a real low base and then, you know, ABC baby. And then you get your commission <laughs> check every quarter. Those are the people who they probably need more buffer because they have a different flow of money than the people who kind of get a paycheck every two weeks or every twice a month. And they have a regular stream in there. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I think we've seen that a lot where, you know, like you said, the high commission compensated salesperson, the business owner, you know, whatever the case may be, is going to need a little bit more. They might lean more towards what, six, six months worth of, yeah, I'd say six months, maybe even, maybe even nine or 12 in some crazy scenarios. Right. We have some that really have like, there's like hero years and zero years. Yeah. And we've seen they they will hold a year's worth of like the basic living costs in some high yield savings because they don't know when they're going to have that zero year and they won't be yeah. prepared for it. So they're kind of like the squirrel putting their nuts away. <laughs> the If you've got like a two income family and you're both working, you could probably lean closer to three months because if someone, let's say one spouse loses their job and you know, in recessionary times that happens kind of out of your control, you have another spouse's income that you can use to support things and you have a, you have a buffer on the savings side. So I think that's, you know, sure. everyone's got a different comfort level. Even, even people who have a very stable form of income, sometimes it's just like, Oh, I'd like having that cash in case something weird happens. Yeah. There is too much cash. Oh, and yeah. we'll talk about that a little later in the show, but we'll, we'll address that issue because sometimes the number gets too big and it makes no sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think there's also the uh, other sources of liquidity too, right? Like making sure you have a home equity line in place before you need it. And, 
you also can potentially have the investment account down the road that gives you liquidity. So yep. there's different ways to get there, but I think you're right. That's where, as I like to say, that's where the personal side of personal financial planning comes in where, you know, you want to make sure people are comfortable. So I wanted to ask, if somebody has a lot of high interest debt, how do you handle that between saving for an emergency fund versus paying down debt, asking for a friend? <laughs> well, Derek, you want to take that one? Sure. Yeah. So I, I think that's where you have to really have a diligent approach where you are prioritizing both of those goals. Because if you dump every dollar you have into you're paying off your debt and you don't have any sort of buffer built up, then you know a lot of times some of the same things that happen that got you into the credit card debt can will continue to happen, right? And bad things happen. And I think that can really help people feel pretty terrible if they're really working hard, really Dave Ramseying that debt away. And then the next thing you know, the car needs a new front axle and you got to put another $2,500 on a credit card. That's the type of thing that could really you know, skew that and, and get you off track of those goals. So I think you know, coming up with some sort of strategy, and that's where it has to be personalized to you and what you're comfortable with. But I would say making sure you're putting money into both those buckets at the same time, at least having enough emergency savings up to a certain level while you're paying off that debt. And so the minimum you think is three months. Yeah, I think, well, it, and it's whatever you can kind of scratch together, but I think three months is a good idea. You want to be paying off that debt at the same time. So if you, you know, if you've got $2,000 left over at the end of the month, after all of your other bills are paid, you know, maybe a thousand goes towards the debt and a thousand goes towards the emergency savings, right? That way you're kind of doing both at the same time. And you, over time, you can build uh, the emergency savings up pretty quickly. And it may not be the three months immediately. It may be yeah. like, I've got a thousand or $2,000 set aside. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to tackle this debt for a little while. And then it's going to be okay. I'm going to get to one month of savings yeah. and then I'm going to tackle the debt too. And so you kind of come, you come to it, not immediately. And I, I, Derek, I appreciate the Dave Ramsey, <laughs> which is a true thing. And it's in some people that works really well for some yeah. people. And I think you hit right on the head is the, there will be something that trips them up and it throws a whole plan out of whack. And, and that's not ideal. And, so it kind of goes into the next stage of this, which is like retirement savings. Cause right, there's that liquidity savings. And then there's also the the long-term building a building wealth, building your retirement funds, which sure. is important. You know, we we always tell people if if your company matches, if if you're have a 401k at your office and they say, Oh, we'll match the first four percent, well, you should put the four percent in, if anything, because that's free money. Yeah, you, you get a hundred percent return on that, which is pretty dang good. And <laughs> But you got to be careful too about that because to your point, Wendy, the bit about having high interest credit card debt, we had a situation where a client had a, a Roth IRA and you know they were, I really like my Roth. However, they had an equivalent amount of high interest credit card debt that they had to take care of. And they were really worried because they had this money. Like, well, should we use it? And ultimately... I can't see of a situation, and Derek, correct me if I'm wrong. If you got like, even <laughs> if you're having the highest performing type of Roth IRA, and you have twenty thousand in that, and you have twenty thousand dollars credit card that's churning twenty twenty four percent interest, that Roth IRA will never beat the credit card. The credit card will always yeah, yeah. cost Unless more. Unless you're Peter Thiel, right? Unless you're yeah, Peter then Thiel. then you you go throw some PayPal stock in there when they, it's founded, and now you have five billion dollars. Yeah, but I, you're right. Yeah, I just can't see. That's where it's like you know what you yeah. bite the bullet. You have to take a pain of I got to take money out of this and pay this off. 
But sure. ultimately, if you kind of look at someone's net worth, it's the same in those situations. If you had the Roth and you had the equivalent credit card debt versus if you had only the, if you didn't have neither of them, it's the same bottom line number. Yeah. But I certainly feel like the uh, having that, not having that debt is pretty good. It's a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so Derek, talk a little about like that other retirement options for folks. Like if they want to sure. start saving for retirement, what are some things that they can think of? Yeah. So, I mean, there's always a, there should always be a hierarchy of where you're saving as part of your financial plan. And for, and for different people that might look different, right? So as you mentioned, the 401k, getting the 401k matches, number one, you want to make sure you do that. After that, I think you start tackling your high yield or your high interest debt. You start building the emergency savings. We already kind of touched on that, but then you kind of have to decide between, okay, am I going to do a Roth IRA slash backdoor Roth? Am I going to do an HSA? Put more in the 401k. Maybe I do some individual, you know, some uh, an individual account as opposed to that. So that's where it really comes becomes a little bit fun to figure out. Okay, how are these dollars going to flow, right? Because if your goal is, hey, I want to, you know, I I don't want to stay at this job for 20, 30 years. I'm going to leave and start my own company, or I'm going to do my own thing. Well, then maybe you should be putting more in the individual account, right? That you can access prior to retirement, or maybe you should be building up your other stuff. So. That all is important to think about, but I would say in general, the HSA is a great place to put that next dollar somewhere that people don't often think about as it's, you know, it's triple tax advantage. And then on top of that, you then you decide, okay, do I want to put some in the Roth, maybe do a backdoor Roth, or, you know, finally, do I want to start maxing out the 401k? Because, you know, people may, and we see this all the time, they might start maxing out the 401k and that's really not the best place for them to be saving for what their goals are. But you know, their dad always told them, right? <laughs> Put as much as you can in the 401k as soon as you can. And that's what they're doing. And I want to take a, just a slight step back of the HSA. That's a health savings account, yeah. which means usually, or not usually, you have to have a high deductible health insurance plan. So that's where exactly. you end up, every time you see the doctor, you're going to shell out some money and it's kind of a risk sharing, which is why the premiums are a lot lower than traditional PPO, HMO plans where you go and pay a and that kind sure. of thing. And it's so we, we we kind of look at it as buckets and we kind of talked about that. You know, you have your 401k slash traditional IRA bucket. That's all money goes in deductible. So you take a deduction on the way in, but it comes out taxable. We have a Roth dollars, the people like those. I mean, people have really yeah. gotten and especially in the news lately because of Peter Thiel, it's like, oh, this magic bucket doesn't pay tax on it. But you don't get a deduction for the money going in, and it's free coming out. And we're not gonna get into the details of qualifying distributions and all that. Let's talk big concepts. The HSA is deductible going in and it's tax-free coming out for medical expenses. I have a quick question about that. Is that through your employer? Do you have to get that account through your employer? Can you do that on your own? You can do them. Some some employer plans have Roth features. Or, and no, I mean the most, HSA. Oh, the HSA. Most, a lot of employers will have a have a way of having that. So if, they, if you get your health care through your employer and they offer you a high deductible plan, usually, and not always, but usually they will say, well, here's your HSA account. You can fund it through payroll. And that's actually really smart if you're going to do that, because when you fund it through payroll, you get an extra savings because you don't pay Social Security and Medicare. That's about 8% on those dollars. Now, you can always fund it outside of there. You can cut a check or transfer money into the HSA and you'll get income tax deduction, but you won't save on those payroll tax dollars too. And some people who get their health insurance through the exchange or on the individual market, they they can't do it through payroll. So they have to 
go and set a HSA separately through like Optum Bank or HSA Bank or something like that. But that is an option. Is that is an option. Yeah. Okay. And then the last bucket's that, as Derek described, that after tax investment account. And that's the one where you can get to whenever you feel like it doesn't have the same restrictions as retirement funds. The money is after tax going in and it grows. And if it pays dividends, you pay those as you go. And then when you sell it, you get some better rates. The income tax rates generally, especially if it's long-term, are better yeah. for you than say the IRA, when you take my attritional IRA or 401k, it's all ordinary rates, which are the more expensive of the two. Mm-hmm. So but it, so those are the kind of the four buckets of, of savings money. And it's really important to have that nice mix of those because what happens is it's levers, right? You can pull a lever, you can do this. I've talked to someone who wants to retire, I'd say early. It's not like, you know, he's 35, but when he's 55. And it's super cool. I'm really, I really would love to see this person be able to do that. However, as we were talking through like, well, how would that look? And some questions about job choices and pensions and these kind of things that we discovered, there was this like large concentration in that 401k bucket. So it's all the money that you kind of need to be older. You have to be 59 and a half before you can get to it without penalty. And we had a gap because you want to be at 55. So we almost have a five-year gap. We're like, well, what happens for those five years? How do you pay for your life when you can't get to the biggest pool of money you have? And it was this aha moment of, oh, man, that's a good question. I don't know. I didn't thought about that. And so then it was kind of, okay, now you have you know 20 years to basically build up enough money in that after-tax dollars and the, the taxable account to float for those four and a half years. Yeah. So you can enjoy that life. You can have the choice you want. But you got to like, you got to build up a different bucket that you didn't have before. And that's where it's really important to have all those buckets in some fashion, if possible, because it gives you choices. Before, otherwise, you're, well, I guess I'm going to have to work till 60 because I, <laughs> I don't have any other money otherwise, or I, I can't do this because I can't start a business because all my money is in my 401k and I, and I have no liquidity to start my business up because I'm stuck or without causing a bunch of taxes and penalties and things like that. Derek, any thoughts on you have on that kind of how people can look at those buckets and really strategize about what makes sense for them? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So when you're, I know, you know, when you're thinking about traditional versus Roth, for instance, the key consideration is what is your tax rate going to be now versus later? And while the future is unknown, you know, if we have somebody that is, let's say you whatever happens, maybe you have a layoff this year, you have one spouse that's not working and your tax rate is extremely low. Well, then you have a pretty good idea that it's going to be lower than in the future. So that's when you can start thinking about, does it make sense to do traditional or Roth, that sort of thing. But then also, like you said, I think that flexibility where you have to know, hey, based on my situation, do I want to start saving more in the individual account where I'm going to have to pay capital gains, but I can access it at any time. And that's where I think you can you know, much like the person that you mentioned, you have to start thinking about what are the goals, right? So if you, if you're, you know, 30 years old and you're, you know, you're going to work and you love working and you love your job and you whistle on the way in every day and you can't wait to work (laughs) till 65, well then put it, you know, dump everything in the 401k and don't worry about it. But, you know, if you think, Hey, you know, maybe I may want to take a sabbatical, right? I might want to take five years off to work or, Hey, maybe I'm a high earner, but I want to take five years off to spend time with my family when they're, you know, when my kids are little. In that scenario, maybe you start thinking about, hey, let's put some more money into the individual account. 
And I think the individual account, the non-retirement account is really one of the most overlooked ways to save because it does give you that ultimate flexibility. So yeah, that, that would be my thing is that I guess much like many of our answers, it all depends on the situation, but man, I love that answer. It depends. <laughs> it, that's the point, right? It's, it's so not, helpful uh... too. <laughs> yeah. I remember that was the, uh, every time in my undergraduate income tax class when I was in college, it was like, <laughs> that sounds like a blast. Dr. White, every time <laughs> it depends. And I was the best answer because it did, because for that person, you know, yeah. it did depend if that happened or not. But was the, that the correct answer on the test? That's what I would like to know. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think it ever was. I don't no. think if I ever wrote it depends. I would get high marks on that exam. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> that would be a great. I should have put that. I actually taught yes. at the University of Mexico. I should have actually like uh, thrown a couple of questions in if said the answer should be it depends. And it would be like, the client asks blah. Well, how do you answer? It depends. And that would have been like 10 bonus points or something. <laughs> That's practical learning right there, kids. There you go. So we, earlier we talked about cash and having enough cash. Now, there's always sure. such a thing as excess cash. And so, oh, yeah. Derek, everyone just assumes cash is good, right? I mean, it's like mm -hmm. Uncle Scrooge's money bin. You just fly around, you know, <laughs> swim through it. Is there too much cash? Can someone actually have too much liquid money in an account? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we, we see this all the time and there are a lot of different reasons for it. My personal saying is that cash is addicting, right? It, like it's once you get to a certain level, once people, for some reason, maybe they have $50,000 in their savings account, they never, you know, a lot of times they never want to see that number go below 50,000 or whatever. It's a hundred thousand. They kind of anchor to these points that make them feel safe. And, you know, part of our job is to help them figure out, Hey, this cash is all part of this, your entire portfolio. And if you have a really specific reason to hold on to this cash. Great. That, that makes a lot of sense. If you think, hey, I'm going to build a house in a few years and I need to have a ton of cash on hand. Great. But what we don't want to see is people's investment decisions be different than what their goals are. Right. And so that's what we see a lot of times. Hey, I want to grow this money over time. Oh, wait, but my I have 20% of my money in cash. Well, that's going to be a huge deterrent to long-term growth. So a lot of our job is to help people figure out you know, what's the minimum amount of cash they need to keep on hand so that they can make sure their entire portfolio is working for them. As you mentioned before, it's all levers, right? So if you told somebody, yeah, you can keep 30% cash in your portfolio, if you're willing to work another five to seven years in retirement, they might change their mind yeah. <laughs> and decide, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. I think I'll invest it. One of the things that we like to do is also create thresholds, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. okay, let's agree to what the good number is that you're yeah. comfortable with. If it's $40,000 is it 10 and then say at that point when you start getting over that we're going to yeah. sweep the excess and we're just going to move it over and that works really well for people who get like waves of money salespeople people who get large bonuses business owners uh, where they kind of accumulate and all of a sudden they're like oh I've got uh $200,000 in there like oh <laughs> well let's let's move that and because yeah. Again, it's addictive. It's also safe. It feels safe. Right now, not safe because of inflation. Those dollars don't quite get you where they used to. But it's important to just not put that on autopilot. And we, I mean, I, I feel like if someone wanted to play Own Your Wealth Bingo, the center one, which is the free one, should just be intentionality because yeah. at this point, I think I've said it so many times and every guest on here has said it. It's like 
that's a gimme. You have to be intentional yeah. with it. And the problem with a lot of excess cash, it tends to make it unintentional. It just becomes like, well, I have it. And yeah. it feels safe. So they just kind of move on. And you're like, well, how did that even happen? Oh, yeah, we just kept putting it in there. And you're like, well, have you ever touched it? No, it's just there. <laughs> and then it just keeps getting bigger. Yeah. And so we we do like to create these like boundaries and say, okay, here's the guardrail. It's once you hit this threshold, we're going to look at that once a quarter. And then we're going to kick it over and put it to more productive use. It doesn't mean it has to be like stuck in Bitcoin or something weird. <laughs> it just means put it to a different use that either can stretch longer, grow more, have a different outcome than just sitting there making at 0.1 somewhere. Even though interest rates have increased and like savings accounts have actually doing something, there is still a number of banks, and I will not name this bank <laughs> on this podcast, but we it was a nonprofit mine. It was like, What's that in? And I went online to go check as the treasurer. And I was like, it's baking 0.1. All we had to do is ask them. And they were, oh, we'll make it 3.5. Yeah. But that's not the default. So a lot of people tend to just kind of like, if they sit on it, they're still making with that 0.1%, even though there's very easy alternatives making four and a half, five percent But they didn't do anything with it because they didn't think about it. They just keep sticking money into it. Sure. And that's where you kind of almost save people from themselves by not letting it just languish there in a checking account. Are you saying that you can call your bank and be like, yo, dude, I should be making <laughs> We did. Money. I mean, I, wow. I've never thought about that, but until someone's yeah. old me, go ask them. And I was like, oh yeah. Apparently they'll just go, oh, turns out your account was an old one or we didn't, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't set so to, to do these things. And it's, I yeah. guess that's where the, you know, especially now with the banking situations that we've dealt with, we've seen, you know, Silicon Valley bank and a couple other banks get, you know, bought, acquired because they failed is one of those things you don't want to just like blindly leave money in a bank just because it's what's comfortable because we don't know. You want to leverage the FDIC insurance. You want to make sure you don't end up with a half a million dollars and it's like, well, you're only covered up to here. You get a quarter million of that and everything else, you may have just kissed it goodbye. So don't just pop it there for fun. Derek, any other thoughts on savings that you want to kind of impart with our listeners here before we wrap up for the for this episode? No, not that I can. Well, I would say, you know, the biggest thing, and I know you guys looks like you guys probably already covered this another another episode, or maybe you'll cover it later. But you know, a lot of times the basics are just spend less than you make, right? If you can do that, you're going to be in a good place. But then, you know, a lot of people come to us; they've already accomplished that. And it's just, as you mentioned, intentionality, making sure you have a purpose behind every dollar that you're saving or every dollar that you have invested. And so that's where, you know, I think working with somebody who is actually trying to help you actively figure out what your goals are and help you build a portfolio to meet those goals. I think that's where it's it's really critical. So this, awesome. is, this is one of the funnest parts of our job is saying, hey, you've got you know, excess resources, whether that's savings or income, let's figure out how to devote this to what you really care about. And then that's going to help you align with what you really want 10, 20 years from now. Well, Derek, sage words to wrap <laughs> up this episode of Own Your Wealth. Wendy, let's wrap it up. Well, thank <laughs> you, Derek. And thank you, Jason. Jason, how can people get in touch with you if they have more questions about everything we've discussed? They can go to cookwealth.com or give a call to our office, 919-784-9100. And thank you for joining us today. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. 
Thank you for listening to the Own Your Wealth podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at cookwealth.com or give us a call at 919-784-9100. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Cook Wealth Management Group, LLC, is a registered investment advisor with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Cook Wealth Management Group, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.